Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of Season 2. We are joined today by my father. He came to visit um, over the holidays, and I was able to sit down in the studio with with him and, and Dr. Henderson, and we had a conversation about what my father does. He is an army chaplain, um, currently living in South Korea, and he just sits down, tells us a little bit about himself, why he wanted to become a chaplain, what makes that kind of ministry unique, and uh, maybe even does a little plug for how you can become a chaplain if that's something that interests you. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with my father, Chaplain Curtis Sutherland. Dr. Henderson, we have someone special as our guest today. Yes, sir. It's it's uh, my father, Curtis Sutherland. He is a chaplain in the Army, and uh, he has graciously accepted my uh, twisting of his arm to, <laughs> to come onto the program and share a little bit about what ministry is like in the military and, and what life as a chaplain is. So, Dad, welcome to the show. Should be very interesting. It should. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. As uh, we say, I was voluntold to be here. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> uh, well, good. So, um, what initially made you want to join the military? I, I know I asked you which question you prefer. Would, you know, what would, uh, what what made you start or be interested in the military, or what made you interested in chaplaincy? So, uh, start whichever place you want to. Well, so uh, what made me start to be in the army? I was a young, you know, young and dumb uh, way back when I was 19 years of age and didn't know where to go or what to do. Didn't really want to go to college, so I uh, I took up Uncle Sam's invitation and I joined the army. Saw the world, uh, did a few things, and then. Um, I don't know. I guess it was after some time that uh, soldiers started coming to me asking me to pray for them or to provide some counseling. So then I decided, well, if the Lord's calling me into ministry, then I better get prepared. And then I took off for seminary and became a chaplain candidate. Okay. Okay. You were obviously a Christian then? Yes, yes. Hence the uh, the soldiers asking me to pray for them and uh, provide some counseling. So I felt the, felt the call and uh, needed the preparation. Yeah, it's interesting to me because uh, I have a grandson that joined the military. He's a Marine, mm. and he's a Christian, but he's not an Adventist Christian. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've often wondered what uh, inspires a person who actually is a, a Christian, and I assume you were an Adventist Christian at the time, that you would take up a military uh, life. Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, you know, a lot of us join the military because we want to serve our country. Yeah. Uh, we want to serve our fellow man. Uh, part of it, you know, is the education, of course, the benefits that we receive from being in the military. There, it's less than 1% of our population that actually joins up at any one time. So it's a small, very small percentage that's actually active active duty right now. Yeah. Back in my day, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. When you turned 18, you signed up for the yeah. draft. Yeah, because you were in the military for a while, right, Dr. Henderson? Two years yeah. in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still have the selective service now, but we don't, of course, have a draft. It's, it's volunteer at right. this point. Yeah. So you... 
we're interested in getting training and uh, becoming a chaplain. Um, what does that process look like? You know, let's say someone who's listening may be interested in joining the military as a chaplain. What what does that process look like? What would they have to do? Do they have to go to school um, for, you know, is there a chaplain school? What, what does that look like? Oh, I, I can tell you, um, the Army in particular is, is short on chaplains. I, I keep telling my son this. Um, <laughs> they got 75 uh, shortages in the active duty uh, this summer, actually, this next summer. Um, but but it's all across. So we are looking for for chaplains for young men, young women who uh, want to be out there, who want to work with people uh, in in a meaningful way. So the process is you you have to have your bachelor's degree, and then you need to work towards your master's degree. At the point where you work towards your master's, then you can join the the uh, chaplain candidacy program that the uh, Army National Guard has. Now the different branches have different methods. I'm just speaking about the Army, but. Uh, uh, once you're in the uh, seminary, you can become a chaplain candidate and uh, be a part of the program uh, that way. And then after a couple years of professional service, depending on your ordination uh, or ordination uh, in the agency or the uh, endorsing agent that you work for, depending on which denomination you belong to, uh, then you can, of course, become a full-fledged chaplain. Uh, so the process is, it can be a little bit lengthy, depending on which stage you're in. If you're already a minister, then, uh, then you can go through the application process and come on board, but it's uh, yeah, it's rewarding, it's meaningful, um, it's a great program to be a part of. So let's talk about that for a little bit. What um, do you have any stories that stand out from um, from chaplaincy that that kind of stand out about what you know what how is it meaningful? So chaplaincy, first off, is a little bit different from being a pastor. Uh, a lot of times in my pastoral work, for instance, you feel like you are defending the faith. You are maintaining the standards of the church, and uh, you're pretty much working with the flock. As a chaplain, you are everybody's pastor. Hmm. It doesn't matter what uh, what flavor of faith you have. Uh, you, are, you are upholding their constitutional right to have the privilege of maintaining their own faith and of practicing their own faith. So that that's a big, big change. You have to be willing to work with other chaplains of different faiths and also be willing to work with different people, people of different faiths or of no faith even, but you are still a minister to each one of them. Hmm. Uh, part of the mission is also to be the eyes and ears of the commander. You know, our primary mission is bringing soldiers closer to God and God closer to the soldiers, but you're also on the lookout for soldiers who are in need or in stress. We have uh, suicidal ideation a lot uh, within the military, young people who are struggling and, and older people who are struggling, of course, and uh, being the commander's eyes and ears out there to know how the morale is going. Then you can talk to the commander and let them know what's going on. And we provide a lot of different programs um, out there for soldiers. We do. Uh, we provide a lot of counseling services, but also relationship building exercises, uh, weekend retreats that we can put on, um, doing uh, seminars such as how not to marry a jerk or a jerk get. Uh, we work with uh, prep. We work with uh, a lot of different programs that enable us to, to reach out to soldiers and uh, take care of them. Once we once we uh, first begin as a chaplain, we are a battalion chaplain. We work for the battalion commander and uh, do those things. Wherever the soldiers go, we go in the army. Uh, so it, it's kind of like the model that Christ did. He went wherever the, mm -hmm. the people were. Well, we do that same type of thing. Uh, then once we become a field grade officer in 04, then we branch off to be more specialized. 
we're either clinical chaplains where we work in a hospital setting or we go off into family life, which is what I did. So you get your master's in marriage and family therapy, and then you provide counseling services. You deal with trauma victims um, and also, of course, a relationship, whether you're single or whether you're married or wanting to be married or even after marriage and going through a divorce, then we were there to support the soldiers. Hmm. Okay. Um, any, uh, any particular story or person that jumps out at you that you can remember? You know, there are so many stories, so many, uh, events, uh, traveled all around the world, been with soldiers in the middle of the night, middle of the day at their worst and at their best. Um, one time we were, th- this was in training, but the soldiers were, were doing perimeter defense and we're out in the middle of uh, nowhere. Uh, <laughs> and, and so it's very quiet out there and everyone's laying down. It's in the middle of the night and I'm walking around uh, giving out hot, hot cocoa, <laughs> myself and my, my chaplain assistant. So we're creeping around and the soldiers are out there, you know, looking for the enemy because we were supposed to have some enemy that were actually going to come. Some op four were supposed to show up and uh, try to slit our throats. So they're on the lookout. And uh, of course, soldiers are thinking about death and dying and that sort of thing. And I plopped down between a couple of them and startled them half to death. And I asked them, so, so what are you doing? What are you thinking about? And they say, well, we're talking about death. Well, yeah, enter the chaplain. So I, <laughs> we got to talk about, you know, what happens at death, the after life and the meaning of life, why we're here. And we just had a really good chat, but opportunities like that, uh, don't come unless you're actually with the soldiers mm-hmm. when you're, um, holed up in the office of your church or, you know, you're in a building waiting for them to come. They don't come necessarily, mm-hmm. but if you're wearing the uniform, if you're out where they are, if you're doing what they're doing, you're struggling, how they're struggling and they watch you struggle. They see how you handle life and they want to come and they talk with you. Those are the, the precious opportunities that we have to be able to reach out and make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the difference between a pastor and, and a chaplain, because, you know, even as, as much as I like to think that I'm part of the community and, you know, living life with my members, there is a difference. And, and they see that I don't I don't go to work nine to five. I, um, you know, I have a church office. They can come to me, but I'm not you know, doing the same thing that they are day in and day out. And that's, I guess, where chaplains have an advantage. That's right. It is a big difference. We do wear their uniform and we do show up at their place of work. We are on lots of committees and uh, command and staff, uh, uh, commanders update briefs. We are involved. It is like a community. The military is its own community. The commander is like the city mayor. You got lots of different helping agencies that you're part of and you're in and out and about with all of it. providing prayers at, uh, at changes of command or changes of responsibility. And Dr. Henderson, uh, before we started, you mentioned uh, praying in Jesus' name. Um, that is... Okay, so here's here's the issue. If we're doing a change of command uh, ceremony, that's a ceremony where everybody is mandated to come. When they come to those things, we don't pray in the name of Jesus because they are mandated to be there and not everybody appreciates uh, prayer in the name of Jesus. Now, if they come to my, my uh, contemporary Protestant service that I hold in the evenings, and we have regularly scheduled chapel services, if they come to that, then of course they're volunteers. They come because they want to be there and they expect to hear you to pray in the name of Jesus. But if we were to show up at a change of command ceremony and someone was to pray in the name of Allah and I'm a Christian, well, I might, you know, be one that would take offense of that. So therefore we treat everybody with the same respect. If they're volunteers to, or, you know, it's 
it's, it's one thing, but if they're mandated to be at a meeting, then we pray in the name of the Lord or in God's name or according to his will. So that that's the difference. Mm, okay. So basically this idea of religious freedom then, um, absolutely allowing people to believe the way they do. Okay. And that, and that's why we're there is to uphold religious liberty is what we're there for. We're not trying to stuff any, any form of religion down anyone's mm-hmm. throat. Instead, we're supporting the soldiers and their right to uh, freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, um, restrict you from talking about it. If someone were to ask you, you know, questions, you aren't, you aren't restricted in what you can answer. Absolutely not. Uh, we are Christians. Uh, we are, well, chaplains, I should say, are from different faiths. Mm-hmm. And we, again, we're endorsed by a religious body that's recognized by the United States. So we have to abide by our ordination as well as by the U.S. Army. So we have, we have a dual role. We could be fired by either side, <laughs> uh, taken, <laughs> taken away from our post. Uh, so, so no, if someone comes to us, we speak from our own tradition. Absolutely. And the soldiers know that. But when we are representing the command, uh, then again, you know, we are upholding the command. We, we uphold the soldiers and their rights, uh, for religious freedom as well. Okay. Okay. Does that kind of answer your, oh, go ahead. Well, the only problem would be if I, if I insist on praying in the name of Jesus, you know, when we're at a, a function that is uh, mandated for the soldiers to be there and someone were to complain, it would be a valid complaint. And then I would be facing problems because I'm not, I'm not upholding the standard. But again, if they come to my service, then they expect me to pray, you know, according to my own tradition and to hold worship according to my own tradition as well. Uh, now I'm Protestant, not being Catholic. I don't do Catholic communion. Uh, however, I am responsible for, for making sure that the soldier has access to a Catholic priest if they're Catholic. So that kind of answers what, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another question that I have in your chaplaincy program, have you been overseas in a war zone and had to cope with some of the things that happened with soldiers over in a war zone situation? Uh, yes, I've been over in Afghanistan, okay. and um, you know our, our our soldiers do get into uh, situations that are unpleasant um, decisions that they've got to make. Uh, you've got a child that throws a rock at you. You're you're providing perimeter defense again, and you've got children wanting to steal our Constantina wire. <laughs> well, if they can get that wire, then they could sell it and make some money off of it, and that, that gives them some food. But it's our wire, and we don't want them to steal our wire. So we provide uh, defense. Well, the kids throw rocks at us. And, uh, you know, some of, our, some of our soldiers end up with broken teeth. But we are not going to fire upon a child for throwing a rock at us. Yeah. Instead, you know, our rules of engagement uh, will not allow us to do that. So sometimes we have to bite the rock, and it's not a pleasant thing. But we have to prove that we are bigger than they are. We are more mature that they, than they are. And we, re- <laughs> we refrain from excessive force. Uh, but helping helping soldiers through those things, you know, yes, uh, and dealing with PTSD, I, I am trained for uh, taking care of that as well with trauma. Uh, but any time a tr- type of trauma, whether it be PTSD from a combat situation or, or maybe a traumatic experience from being abused as a child, uh, for some people it's even having a car accident. It just depends on, on the person and how they're able to cope with the situation at hand. Do you feel restricted as far as sharing your Adventist faith? 
Mm. Not at all. No, absolutely not. No, I I have uh, books in my office. uh, You know, it's not it's not a problem with sharing what I believe. Uh, But again, you know, my job is there to take care of the soldier first. What are their needs uh, above my needs to share? What are their needs to receive? Mm. Many times that's the need they have. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's something that gives them some hope and some perspective on, you know, that there is another way of living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, of course, what brings them to my office in the first place. So understanding the the seeking soul, what they're looking for, and then being able to to work with them, to guide and direct them without pushing them. It's uh, it's an art and a science. (laughs) All right. Well, we are out of time. Do you have any closing closing remarks or closing thoughts? I you know. I, I talk about the Army chaplaincy because I guess I've been in it for a while, 20-some uh, years now, 22, I guess. But um, it, it's a great program for anybody that's listening that would be interested in Army chaplaincy. Get a hold of a chaplain recruiter and, uh, and talk to them. Ask them about uh, opportunities. I know that there are a lot of needs out there. We deal with things that are important as people struggle. Uh, domestic abuse, um, uh, indecisions, uh, making wrong decisions, um, poor choices, uh, people that just get into trouble and being willing and able to to walk alongside those people. That's an important task for anybody that has the mind of Christ that wants to walk beside their brethren and their sisters. Thanks, Dad, for such an inspiring conversation. Um, just sharing what it's like to be a military chaplain and even correcting some of the misconceptions that maybe some of our listeners have about chaplaincy and, and what it's like to minister there. You know, sometimes as a local church pastor, I get so bogged down in management that I forget what it's like to do true ministry. And, you know, I think this conversation has inspired me to kind of realign my focus and, and make sure that I'm doing ministry first and management second, because that's that's really what God has called us to do, and that's where the blessings are. So thank you for sharing. Next week, we have a little bit of a different episode about the life of Daniel. Unfortunately, Dr. Henderson and I only have one more episode. We got halfway through the chap- chapter 8 in Daniel. Um, and so I don't know what we're going to do. If we're going to continue those conversations or not, we'll, we'll just... We'll see. We'll see what's going to happen with that. But we did have a guest, um, Tim Rosenberg, Pastor Tim Rosenberg, and he shared about Daniel chapter 11. I know it's a little bit out of order, but we're going to go ahead and throw that episode in next week. It's going to be encouraging. He spoke at our church um, a couple months ago, and while he was here, he he got on the on the podcast and shared a little bit about his views about Daniel chapter 11. And so here is a teaser for next week's episode, Pastor Tim Riesenberg, Islam and Christianity. And then back in 2002, I was reading an email from a guy, and he said he just thought papal-led Christianity and Islam were going to join together and make the Antichrist power united in that way. And I thought, oh, come on, they're like polar opposites, north and south. And when that thought went through my mind, the Holy Spirit kind of hit me with, okay, you know that chapter you don't know well? Go look at it, Daniel 11. We will have that conversation next week right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that and all the other episodes coming up 
in season two. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Online, we're at faithandhoperadio.com and on Facebook at Faith and Hope Radio. Music, as always, was provided by Dexter Britton. Hope you have a wonderful week. God bless you. I'll talk to you next week. But in the meantime, have faith and hope.